and I realized that that's a, an excellent way to approach the marketplace. People don't necessarily just expect you to be a recruiter. They expect you to be interesting. And if you can find the subject that makes you interesting, you will gain their attention. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm joined today by Michael Goldman. Michael started his recruiting career in 1980 and founded his own firm, Strategic Associates, in 1988. Michael's built an excellent reputation as an executive recruiter in manufacturing and supply chain nationwide on both a contingency and a retained basis. Michael is a founding member and former president of the Pinnacle Society, and having run a successful desk for 42 years now, he's been a consistent top producer. Michael also speaks on and teaches recruiting tactics and strategies to recruiters globally. This is Michael's second time on the show. We're delighted to have him back. Michael, welcome. Thanks for being here. Returning champion. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, you were sharing with me just a, a minute ago that you've had some crazy ice storms in Austin. Yeah, this happens once every uh, blue moon, every few years. Uh, the last one was a big blizzard uh, a couple of years ago that knocked everything out for an entire week and we lost all of our water. And we had to dig snow out of the backyard to put in the toilets to get them to flush. <laughs> this time around, it was an ice storm, a uh, 48-hour ice storm. And uh, brought down trees, brought down branches and stuff like that. Knocked out our power, no water. Uh, no, I'm sorry, no power. So we lived like cave people for 24 hours. <laughs> no internet, no power, no heat. And um, we survived. Abs you know? Well, I'm glad <laughs> so. that, you know, your internet came back in time for us to record this podcast. Uh, and yeah, me too. more importantly, that you guys are safe and your house wasn't, you know, didn't have a tree fall on oh, it or yeah. anything. That's that's uh, the biggest concern. Yeah, you're right. falling trees and branches and stuff. Um, you were showing me your mug from Edinburgh earlier. When, when were you guys over here? Yes. As a matter of fact, we were here, uh, I think it was about three years ago, three, okay. four years ago. It was, way, it was before pandemic, of course. Yeah. But I think it was like the year before the pandemic started. Um, and uh, I, uh, I have to tell you, Scotland, we took a, a two-week trip to Scotland and toured uh, via tour bus and what have you. And it was just amazing. I'm a big single malt scotch guy. So we Perfect. got to visit some distilleries, some historical landmarks. But uh, Edinburgh is uh, is our favorite city. I mean, it's just a beautiful city. I know that's where you are. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I'm glad you had a uh, chance to experience yeah. it. That's cool. I actually bought a kilt, believe it or not. No way. What? In yes. <laughs> what inspired? Yes. You got the famous Goldman Tartan? The, the famous, yes. Yeah, the, the Scottish Jew boy. What can I say? <laughs> That's hilarious. So what yeah. what inspired you to get a kilt? Uh, we we love Scottish culture. Uh -huh. uh, I'm a big Sean Connery as James Bond fan. Sure. And uh, and we we just love the Scottish culture and the history. And, and quite frankly, uh, I, I've been involved with Scottish culture for quite a long time. We I attended... Many years ago, the San An San Andrews Festival yeah. uh, feast in uh, New York City through a friend of mine who bought a table there, and I was introduced to single malt scotch, rare beef, and uh, you know the the pipes and the entire. And quite frankly, we found that that Scottish culture is very similar to Jewish culture. Okay, in that it's very tribal, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's very proud. Mm -hmm. uh, it's unafraid to speak up. You know. And, and so I just fell in love with it. And uh, my wife loves it too. 
So we really, uh, um, we finally got had the chance to be able to come and visit. Wow, that's so cool. Um, it's funny, I don't own a kilt. I, the only time I've worn a kilt was for my wedding. And my uh, brothers, I got my brothers, I have two brothers, so they were both my best men. And uh, it was the first time any of us was were like wearing kilts. And there's famously, you know, people say that a true Scotsman doesn't wear underwear with their kilt, right? And yes. um, I asked the guy, we rented these kilts, and I said, is that true? And he said... Well, technically that is true, but this is a rental, you know, kilt. So think about it. And we're like, okay, fair enough. I guess we're wearing underwear. So uh... a lot of people, hey, that was a great story. And I'll tell you, I can even top you because okay. some, one of my friends told me one time, he said, you know, Goldman, you're wearing a skirt. And I said, well, you know how they, how they named the kilt? It's what they did to the last person who accused them of wearing a skirt. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> hilarious. Hilarious. So um, listen, let's get into this. By the way, for those listening, sure. I want to point you to the previous episode that Michael and I recorded, which was 18 months ago, August 21. And that was episode 92, How to Enjoy a Rewarding and Long-Term Career in Recruitment, which you certainly have done. So um, if you haven't already heard that, definitely check it out. So you uh, are, I, I noticed- Can I start with something yeah, before you sure. Before you get into that? I just wanted to tell you something. Mm. I wanted to thank you for this podcast, for, for your podcast and give you some credit here because I found that um, by listening, I went back to your podcast and I started listening to the podcast for a lot of the Pinnacle members. And I realized there was so much I learned about them. Even though I attend meetings, uh, I didn't know them at the depth that your podcast went. And it was very interesting. And I'd encourage everybody to pick out, especially the, the Pinnacle members, and listen to their podcasts. Uh, so all the Pinnacle member podcasts I've, I've gone through, and I've picked up some very educational stuff. You know, you know, we, we meet at meetings and stuff, but there's, there's so much more to them than that. And the podcast for Lou Adler. Uh, you know, Lou and I have been in the business around the same amount of time. And I'm surprised I never ran into him in the past. But I went through Lou Adler's podcast, and we listened to it the second time. A phenomenal guy. And I made the introduction of Lou to our educational chair at Pinnacle uh, to make arrangements to have Lou come in and make a presentation, maybe a keynote or something or training. Oh, that would be uh, cool. So I thank you for the podcast that you're putting on. My pleasure. My pleasure. Uh, and thanks for that. I, I appreciate it. Um, Alan Fisher, is that who you, your education yes. chair? Yep. Uh, so Alan's been on the show, but it's uh, it's not been published yet. So uh, that's uh -huh. that will well by the time yours comes on people will have heard it so check out Alan Fisher's podcast. Uh, so and you're keynoting, yeah, at the next pinnacle absolutely. meeting, absolutely, San Diego. San Diego, are you yes, are you going? Right. Yeah, I'm planning to go. Fantastic. So look forward to meeting you in person. Yeah, absolutely. I will not bring my kilt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, noted, noted. You might be a bit warm, in San Diego, wearing a because actually right. it's they're, they're made of wool and it's lots of material yes. so they are very warm but yeah. uh anyway so listen i yes. noticed on linkedin <clears throat> you had an article or a, a post not too long ago about pulling your uh career sword from the stone could you talk a little around that because i thought it was a really it was an excellent um linkedin post thank you uh yeah what what I've come to, what, what, as I've evolved as a recruiter in the business over now, it's, uh, I'm heading into my 43rd year in the business. Um, I've noticed that in talking to people, a lot of them are, and I'll be brutally honest about this. 
are clueless when it comes time to build, when it comes to building their career. They really, they're so busy um, doing what they need to do to survive in their current job that they don't plan for the future. And it's very similar to what's happening to American industry these days. Uh, Leadership from the top is so concerned with planning for the next month, let alone the next quarter or the next year. And so uh, I find that people really don't, uh, haven't planned what they want to do. And and the way I find out is I ask them a very simple question. What do you envision yourself doing professionally in five years? What are you going to actually be doing? Um, And their answers to me, I'd say probably about eight out of 10 are either uh, um, don't make sense, don't match marketplace realities, or show that they haven't given it any thought at all. And uh, a few of them, maybe a one or 2%, have an opinion, but it doesn't match marketplace realities. And, and Or the opinion is, well, it's based on an administrative response. Oh, I see myself doing project management, or I see myself being a manager or seeing a director. Oh, I understand what level you want, what functional area will you be responsible for? And they can't, you know, they'll, they'll fun for a bit of an answer, but they're geared so much to their their political level or administrative level uh, in an organization rather than functionally what they're going to be doing. And the remaining 1%, I'd say, a very small amount, actually ha- respond with an answer that shows that they've, they're in touch with marketplace realities and they've been thoughtful about it and they've done some planning but it's a very small slimmer marketplace. So I see pulling that old story about King Arthur, pulling the sword from the stone is something that a lot of people haven't even tried doing yet. And when they talk with us as recruiters, if we're any good, we position ourselves appropriately. uh, They demonstrate the fear of even climbing up on the rock to pull the the sword. Um, There's a lot of fear. The crowd is gathered around the stone as the story goes. And only very few people will have the courage to get up on the rock and even just try to pull the sword from the stone. And most people don't have that that courage yet, or they'll put it off. And I think uh, part of that too is a trend that's going on in American industry. Well, actually, in in our culture here, at least in America, and that is uh, the you. Well, I, I refer to it in and as a there's a book out on the subject. Uh, the death of expertise. And as as our political and economic situation has developed over, since 9-11, I found that people devalue expertise more and more. And so when they're standing there in the crowd waiting to hop up on that rock to pull the sword, they don't believe anybody who's been up there already or who has expertise in, in pulling that sword to give them advice either because of fear or ignorance or whatever. They just, they don't trust people who may be experts uh, in what they're doing. And it's manifest in, in conversations and relationships with, with uh, prospective candidates, with clients. They just don't believe in expertise. I mean, in what, in what job order, with what client can you actually see uh, them looking for a VP manufacturing or a global VP of supply chain and and putting out the specs to the recruiter and the client saying, listen, instead of, you know, we love, we want, we need somebody who's going to successfully run our global supply chain. And I think the profile we want is a game show host. 
<laughs> what? I'm, you know, and that's that's essentially what we did at one time. I won't get into the politics of the time, but you know, that's that's just amazing. I was I was looking at the development of our politics and our our, our social environment over the past six years as a recruiter, looking at it with a recruiter's eyes. We were hiring for a leadership role, and we went with a spec that was had no idea how to do the job, you know, had no experience in the in the business. Yep. <clears throat> and we did it anyhow. So it's a long answer to your short okay. question. But <laughs> well, but it all stems from being confident about getting up on that rock and pulling the stone, the sword from the stone. Hey, can we just back up a second, Michael? Because I don't know if sure. I fully understand your analogy. So in this um career context, what does pulling the sword from the stone represent? There is there's a challenge uh to knowing where you want to go professionally mm -hmm. and you can you can run the analogy the sword is the marketplace mm -hmm. it's the business world it's your it's your career and by pulling the sword from the stone successfully um you choose a path or you give yourself the opportunity to choose a path mm -hmm. so many people shy away from the opportunity to to learn more about what their options might be. Um, and the fear of pulling that, there's the fear of pulling the sword, there's the fear of getting up on the rock, there's the fear of doing it in front of other people or of making a mistake. There are a lot of challenges to pulling that sword from the stone. Right. And does that clarify it a little bit? Yeah, sure, absolutely. Um, so what, what, wearing your, um, as an expert, as a recruiter, when you're having this discussion with individuals, candidates who uh, who you're sitting with and counseling, what what develops from that conversation? Very quickly, I can understand what thought they've put to where they want to get to, mm -hmm. because a lot of people in our business, in our industry, especially newbies in the first five years or so, are trained to throw up as much against the, the wall as possible. Mm -hmm. You know, control, control, control. Get them to do what you want them to do. And let's move it on down the road. What I do in the beginning is I'll I'll ask questions to determine the quality of the thought process that a prospect would have, mm -hmm. and I I will understand what it takes to influence them, um, as opposed to selling them. Mm -hmm. And so I'll ask a question like that, you know, five years down the road, what do you see yourself doing? Mm -hmm. Because that's the key to unlock their 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 uh, their attention. Um, and and. And so I ask them questions that help me to understand what their perception is of where they want to get to. Mm -hmm. So I can decide whether or not either the search that I'm leading right now that I've contacted them about is appropriate. will help them get there mm -hmm. closer to some of their ultimate goals. Uh, and I'll be able to unlock that key. And there's an interesting uh, a YouTube video that has something to do with this on, on uh, the internet. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard it, but it's an interview of, uh, it's, it, it's on the Howard Stern show. Mm -hmm. And Trevor Noah is being interviewed okay. on The Daily Show here in the States. Yep. And Trevor talks about how he was doing the, sec the, the lead-in for Dave Chappelle on a comedy stand-up routine in, in, in a concert. And he was nervous. He tells, tells Howard, I'm nervous about, you know, what, what am I going to do? Am I going to be funny? You know, it's like 200,000 people in this audience. And Chappelle turns to Trevor Noah and says, they don't expect you to be funny. They expect you to be interesting. 
Hmm. And I, that really put a light bulb on over my head. I, I was, I was thinking about that and, and I realized that that's a, an excellent way to approach the marketplace. People don't necessarily just expect you to be a recruiter or to find people or to get people. They expect you to be interesting. And if you can find the subject that makes you interesting, you will gain their attention because you have to realize these people in the marketplace every day are in storms. They're constantly trying to, you know, to sweep back the water on the deck of the boat. And they're dealing with daily and weekly challenges. And they haven't had time to sit down and really think productively about what, where they want to go. <laughs> and if you can tap into their perception of what success is in their life, and you can do it in an interesting way, then that will, that will lead you toward uh, providing significant influence with this talent, especially prospective candidates who are not to be looking or clients who say, who look at you when you're, you know, when you're speaking with them and see you as just another recruiter. Mm, gotcha. A, quote, headhunter. You see what I mean? Yeah, totally. So, Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I, I see where we're going here now. So <clears throat> by asking these types of questions, for example, when you share something in five years with your candidates, then um, number one, you're understanding them better and what their longer term career goals are so that you can make sure that the opportunity you've got is going to align with their trajectory and where they want to go. Yes. Secondly, yeah. it also helps to for you to present your opportunity in the most effective way be, in, in, by showing them how it does line up, how it matches and how it's going to be a step towards that ultimate destination that they want to they want to achieve um and thirdly it positions you not just as a transactional recruiter but as more of a of a, a career advisor and someone who has got their long-term best interests at heart rather than just you're trying to shoehorn them into something in order to make a fee and it works in the reverse with your clients okay you know you become a valued <clears throat> counselor so you, know, you help them yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so talk to me about the flip side. How 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 would you apply this with a client scenario then? All right, very simply. And by the way, all this conversation, this exchange, doesn't take you know hours to convey. Uh, with a client, for instance, one of the qu the question I'll ask as I'm, I'm maybe taking the specs on a position mm -hmm. um, is, how have you branded this opportunity mm -hmm. in the marketplace? What's your vision of the brand for this opportunity? Mm -hmm. And most clients will say, well, what do you mean? Because they haven't thought of it in that way. And this whole idea of branding, both on the prospect side as well as the client side, is absolutely key to establishing influence. A difference. And when, I, when they say, well, what do you mean by that? I'll say, well, realize that you're taking a product to market. Mm -hmm. Your opportunity is not just a transactional, we're looking for somebody, we want to see your your credentials. Can you do this? Do we want to talk to you? It's it's a 1970s approach of of recruiting, thinking that you know you have an entire surf population out there that you're going to put out in the fields to to leverage your crops. You know, mm -hmm. and it's not that way. Uh, you have to realize that these people have evolved. The talent base has evolved over the years, and they want to understand what would motivate them to be interested in your opportunity. Mm -hmm. And so. You need to bring a branding methodology, a branding thought process to positioning your opportunity in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Put yourself in their shoes. 
what interesting things will someone be doing in this role? Where will this role lead them within the organization? You know, and and develop that from the beginning. Because what these clients have done up to this point is they've hired a horde of, and God bless them, there's, there's an important use for them, role for them. But a lot of these HR people out there are hired to identify people, to leverage the tools, uh, to identify people who might be candidates. But none of them, almost none of them are, are trained to do what we do essentially, which is to get them, as Danny Cahill has said in the past. And that is to tap into what motivates them to be interested in the opportunity. Mm-hmm. I'm going to help you in the beginning of this process, position your opportunity in the marketplace with a brand that would be successful. To, and to help you during the process to understand where that marketplace, in essence, that you're selling to, mm-hmm. it will be influenced or is not being influenced. Where we need to go under the hood and make adjustments so that you can make proactive decisions on what about the specs are selling, what aren't, and how it's received in the marketplace. Because, and this is also key in the relationship building with your clients, and that is when I go out in the marketplace, if we don't find someone, it's not because of my efforts and it's not because of my ex- expertise. It's because of the product we have. Mm. And I'm yes. constantly keeping in touch with what's fine-tuning the product so it will so be received Uh, enthusiastically in the marketplace. Are you worried about keeping your recruitment firm up to date with the latest technology? After all, your clients expect you to be ahead of the curve. But how do you select the right tech for your recruitment firm and make sure that you earn enough new business as a direct result to make back the cost of your investment? Which is why our friends at iIntro provide in-depth coaching alongside their technology to help you get the most out of your investment. They offer an extensive suite of tools, but let's just take one example, their behavioral assessment tool. It's built right into their online system, so you don't have to buy or learn a whole new platform. They also include training on how to use behavioral assessments to improve your pitching technique, while also increasing the longevity of your placements to a staggering 96% after 12 months. For a free demo of iIntro's suite of recruitment tools, including behavioral assessment, just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained. Remember, when you engage with our sponsors, you also help support this podcast. Just go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash retained, then follow the instructions to get started. Michael, so I love this line of questioning, by the way, and I do think it's adds value. It's um, dif- differentiates you in the in the uh, eyes of your client and ultimately will help them to achieve their desired outcome, which is to find the best talent to fulfill this uh, position. I can see a lot of scenarios though, where the client either doesn't have an answer to that question or they don't have a very good answer. So what do you do with those clients, which probably is more than 50% of them who either they think they know how to brand this opportunity, but really it's, it's not that great, or they just don't have a clue. What what do you do with the with them in order to help guide them to the right place? Well, I, I take the vampire approach. Okay, what's that? The vampire pro- <laughs> the vampire approach is you always have to ask the residents of of the home if you can come in. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> I see. <So>. Right. <laughs> A vampire can't get into your house unless you invite them in. I don't know. So. I, I, okay, I get. It. I don't know if I like being the the vampire in this analogy, but okay, I'll, I'll go with it. Let's. Yeah. So it's, you ask for colorful. permission. What can yeah. I say? You ask for permission. <laughs> you ask permission to come in. Got it. Um, and then so key. So what I will do is I'll <laughs> say, listen, I have a different way of thinking that'll help you position the opportunity to its maximum benefit. <laughs> Would you open be open to my sharing this with you? Because I've already identified myself and working with them as as a consultative recruiter in my business, not a transactional one. <laughs> if you know, a lot of these hiring authorities just want to be on the phone with you so they can throw you their position description and tell their boss, I oh, talked to a headhunter today. He's gonna to go out and look for somebody. I don't have to spend a lot of time on this. So, you know, just go and do what you do. But I stop that because that's not the kind of, of project that I work on. It's not the kind of client assignment I'm interested in. There's always, it has to be something that you're interested to as a recruiter. And from the very beginning, you set up the, the most beneficial relationship with all parties concerned. So I will stop and say, would you, would you mind if I shared with you a thought process, almost like a philosophy, in how you prepare an opportunity for the marketplace? Uh, that, and you can use this, regardless of what happens with our relationship, you can use this for the rest of your career as a hiring authority. And by the way, this is not a concept that's foreign to you because, you know, since I've specialized in manufacturing, supply chain, what have you, they're making a product in the market at the marketplace. So I will say to them, this is exactly how you prepare your product for market. If you're do going through all the investment and all the time that to, to actually put, manufacture your product and take it to a, a specific marketplace, if that's not working, you want to be able to understand how to fine tune your brand so that you'll, your sale process will be successful and you'll be creating cash flow for your company. It's the same thing for the talent that you're looking to bring on board. Can I just in interject here, Michael? Because I, I love sure. that. I think it's so powerful. If you can use analogies that your client can instantly comprehend so they understand and buy into what you're trying to convey and, and, and teach them and the what makes it even better is that you've tailored your analogy to the market that you serve. So I want our listeners to think about in your niche, in, the, in your industry that you specialize in, uh, always trying to relate what you do and how you work to in some way to how the client's business operates. I think that's really smart. So, Michael, yes. assuming they say, yeah, tell me, like we we definitely want uh, to brand this and, and package it in, in a way that is going to attract the right people to, uh, to organizations. So then where do you go from there? Well, then I'll take them through step-by-step step. Mm -hmm. the position description. I said, you know, I'll tell them, I'll start with a base of information. You have, I have this document here that reflects, you know, what you need, what you want and requirements and what they'll be doing. Mm -hmm. Um, based upon my knowledge of my marketplace, I'll sort of like pro, you know, what they need. So we'll go through uh, requirements. Mm -hmm. Some may be unrealistic. I say, well, okay, out in the marketplace, a key issue at point now that's that's prevalent in almost everybody's uh, uh, job orders, I'm sure out there. And that is, are they working hybrid, remote, offsite, that whole issue? Mm -hmm. um, you're located downtown or you're located in a remote location. Uh, you want people to be on site 100% of the time. 
you realize that your market will be greatly reduced. Your talent base will be reduced uh, as a result of that. Are you willing to make that business decision mm-hmm. to sacrifice the level of talent you're looking at just to bring them in the in the house in the house hundred percent of the time? I'll probe them. I'll I'll ask them. You know, if this, then what would you be willing to to give up as a result of this request? Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes they'll. Um, they'll be asking for a profile of a person who's who's more advanced in the compensation that they're asking for, that they want to apply to this. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some questions that they don't have movement on, but you're advising them what they're going to be seeing in the marketplace. And I never present the alternative uh, side of what, what the need is to marketplace reality by saying, this is what I believe. I present it in terms of this is what the marketplace has, sh- has been showing us. So it's not me who's fighting in them, so so to speak, fighting their spec. It's it's us, the client and I, looking at marketplace reality, and 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 realizing this is what the marketplace is telling us. So I'll prepare you for that. That's a great distinction, and and uh, makes total sense. You know, you are you have a window on the marketplace and and uh, a perspective which they don't have. And you're able to share that with them to their benefit so that they can um, position and brand their opportunity to attract the best possible talent. So that makes yes. sense. Totally. Yeah, great. Um, any other kind of thoughts on this idea of the the branding philosophy that you're bringing to these conversations? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I have a uh, suggested resume format. I've created a format. It explains to prospective candidates exactly step-by-step step what they need to do to transfer their resume. And I, I mentioned this in the last podcast, uh, how to create a document that is based on their brand. The professional summary at the top becomes their branding summary. Mm-hmm. Not literally, it says still labeled professional summary, but it becomes a statement of their brand. And everything that comes below that in the resume is a statement of what their responsibilities and their achievements have been as a result of the brand. A brand is a statement that demonstrates to the marketplace what value they they bring in general. What uh, what what I will do is I'll I'll bring them through step by step, and this doesn't take a lot of time either. Uh, what the, their branding summary should be from that, how they list, how they position the words and phrases that they use. Mm-hmm. Uh, to state their responsibilities and then their achievements as a result of the responsibilities. Mm. Uh, the achievements should be quantified by dollar figures, percentages. They should be specific. Yep. The responsibilities should be <clears throat> very specific when it comes time to, to talk about if they're managing people, specifically how many people they manage. It's just amazing how little information they really provide and try to be all things all people in a resume. That is the document that rules their lives. And all that information, once we establish it, 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 we move all that information over to their LinkedIn profile so there's commonality. And once they establish that resume, it gives the, the main goal for that is to give them the ability to articulate their value proposition during the course of an interview. 100%. And anybody who's not quite sure about the value of this, take a look at, I have over 170 recommendations on my LinkedIn profile. I have people give me recommendations who I, we didn't even, I didn't even place. <laughs> I wasn't successful in the interview process. I love that. But they still give me a recommendation because I've I've done a sea change in how they view themselves 
And again, it doesn't take a lot of time to do this, but the value of, of cementing in your mind the difference between you as a consultative recruiter and a transactional recruiter is key in this entire branding philosophy. Mm. Okay, so let me just recap here because I think this is powerful. You, there's on, there's a nice symmetry here, which I mean, I'm sure recruiters get, but I, I just want to really point it out explicitly, which is that there's a parallel. Everything you're doing on the candidate side and the client side, there is a parallel from a branding perspective. So on the candidate side, you're helping to them to really identify their value proposition, which probably 99% of candidates have never thought of that before, right? So this is a new way of thinking to them. Also, you're helping them to um, rewrite their CV and make it much more powerful by um, with the, the, the branding statement, as well as the specificity in their uh, responsibilities, but also translating those responsibilities into the quantifiable achievements, denominated yes. dollars or percentages or whatever. And it's a much more powerful uh, document. It's going to help them to to secure. And it, it matches up with what we talked about earlier. Like if they want to achieve, you know, this goal in the next three to five years, then, you know, they need to reposition themselves in order to, you know, get, those opportunities and you're helping them to package themselves and brand themselves in order to be more likely to achieve that goal. So that's on the on the candidate side. And then on the client side, it's the same. They have this position description, which is kind of like a resume. It's usually boring. It's about we need this number of experience and you know it's it's everything that they want rather than, you know, uh what is going to actually attract the people that they they need. So it's not really um, reflecting an employer brand or a vision of opportunity. So you're then helping them to um, brand the opportunity so that, that you can take that to market and it's going to it's going to be attractive to the the right sort of people. So it's sort of a parallel philosophy on both sides. Am I understanding this correctly or yes, absolutely. You're taking both sides and you're helping them to meet in the middle. You make the introduction. You've prepared both sides before the meeting on what the motivation points might be and then introducing them so they can talk about where the mutual shared value might be. This leads very perfectly into this, this idea of, you know, the two very simple things that uh, you use to identify success for, for prospective candidates and clients. Um, and, and the two things that you do that I advise them to do, there's a macro and there's a micro. And the macro very simply is, you know, establishing an answer to the question of where you're going to be in five years. Okay. And introduce them to the, the branding philosophy. The micro are the two questions that you ask to filter any opportunity that you're looking at as a candidate or as a prospect. And that's, those two questions are very simple. It's not compensation. It's not ge geography. It's not title. Those are all classic things that a lot of people are concerned about. But the two most important filters are this. Number one, does this opportunity bring you closer to some of your ultimate goals or further away? Mm. And number two, does it give you more options rather than fewer? Those are the two filters. Mm. And then what we do is, as I'm talking to them about what, you know, what really excites them about what they do every day, I put those filters over um, my opportunity to determine if it's a, an effective match. 
and I use their words and phrases because I'll jot down in my notes the words and phrases they use during during their their description of their five-year plan. And I'll give back to them in their own words and phrases how, you know, I'm, I'm check, as you're talking about this, this is really interesting. I'm checking a lot of the boxes of, about the search that I'm, I'm leading right now. And I'm seeing a lot of reason for you to learn more about this opportunity. I don't talk about to interview or to send your resume. I see, th- I see a lot of reasons for you to learn more about this opportunity because I see, it in, uh, I see an interview process as being a voyage of discovery. It's an opportunity for people to get together and, and learn more about each other, figure out these things. I literally say that to them. I said, would you like to learn more about you know, what, what this search is about? Yes. Again, the vampire experience. Invite me into your home. They're, they say, yeah, that, yeah. Tell me about it. And then I, I go into using their own words and phrases and what they've already established to be their motivating factors to, to dress the opportunity. And it's true. I'm, I'm not attempting to sell them, you know, anything that isn't true. But I'm, influ- I'm using my skills as a questioner and a guider and a counselor, as consigliere. I come from a totally different place. And they're not used to it because most recruiters that they, they, they are on these calls with don't approach it this way. You know, they're, they're like I said in our last podcast, they're in a, into want to buy chicken, want to buy chicken, want to buy chicken. They're used to a <laughs> transactional conversation, and right. this is definitely not it. Right, right. I, I love it. Thanks for sharing the specific um, verbiage as well that you use. I think that's really powerful. Did you know that fewer than 1% of recruitment business owners ever achieve an exit? The good news is that it's absolutely achievable if you know how. That know-how and proven track record is exactly what Recruitment Entrepreneur provides. They're the number one investor in recruitment startups and scale-ups globally. James Kahn and his team have done this many times before. In fact, they've backed 45 businesses already, and they're only just getting started. Based in London, they've now launched in the USA and many other countries around the world. They're looking to partner with ambitious recruiters who want to start, scale, and sell their recruitment business. They provide the funding, mentoring, advice, and support you need to become one of the top 1% who successfully exit their recruitment business. To learn more about Recruitment Entrepreneur in the USA or anywhere globally, go to recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. That's VC as in venture capital. Book a call with one of their investment directors and be sure to tell them you were referred by Mark Whitby and the Resilient Recruiter podcast. Once again, visit recruitmentcoach.com forward slash VC. Just circling back to this overall question, because I'm still, it's going around in my mind where you're asking, you know, about their career goals in five years time. And you pointed out that a lot of people, they don't know because they've never thought about it. So where do you go from there when you've asked that question and they really aren't sure what they want in, you know, in the, their sort of longer term career. One of, of two ways to start off. <laughs> and I use my understanding of the marketplace that I, that I serve and um, what career paths look like. So if the person says a lot of times I'll do this, well, I see myself as a project manager, you know, senior project manager, I'm a project manager, but I want to be a senior project manager. And I said, listen, 
What you don't want to do in your vision is identify yourself by an administrative title. Project managers are a dime a dozen. You know, if you just identify yourself as a title, then it, you undercut your yourself in the marketplace. What functional area do you want to be involved in? Be it supply chain, manufacturing, procurement, whatever it be in my case. Uh, and and if you are want to be a manager or director or a VP somewhere down the road, see if they're a manager now and they want to be a VP in, in five years, we can examine the path to that. And I literally tell them, I say, listen, you don't even have to listen to any of my guidance right now. Go to LinkedIn, look up a, a company that you really respect, whatever it might be, GE, Honeywell, whatever it is. Identify the, a person who has the title you want in five to 10 years, VP of supply chain, whatever, and find out how they got there. What did they do before that? The blueprints for success are all over LinkedIn. That tests, you know, what I'm, I'm sharing with you now, the reality of it. So I will say to them, literally, don't identify yourself as a title. Identify yourself by a functional area and, and what you want to do within that function. It could be front-end, supply chain, back-end, whatever it might be. And put, plant your flag in the marketplace as a functional talent. Companies are not interested in people who want to be managers or motivated by title. They're influenced by people who want to bring value based upon their professional expertise. If you're if you want to be VP and you don't have any headcount responsibility right now, that's a key to what you want to do next. That's your key. That's your your ability to pull that sword out of the stone is based upon your next role being something that will get you headcount. Oh, okay. So in other words, I should be looking at headcount management right now. I said, Well, when was the last time you managed people? I haven't. I said, Well, they're not going to give you the keys to the city if you haven't had experience with those keys yet. What you need to do is find a firm that has the culture of advancement. So the next role for you won't be managing a headcount. It will be with a firm that will help you get to that point. See, and that's an important fact too, because a lot of us talk to people who, 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 who are underqualified for what they think they want to do next. Yes. Great point. Yeah. So um, those are the kinds of things I will guide them on how to get there based upon my knowledge of, of the career track in the marketplace, I have ex expertise. Michael, you just pointed out something I wanted to um, pick up on because <clears throat> they might think that they their next position is should be a management position where they have headcount responsibility. And what you're saying is, look, your next move is actually with a company that has a culture of advancement and who will develop you into that you know role yes. uh, more rapidly than your current you know, situation is allowing for. So I think that's, that's, a, that's smart for sure. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, you showed me a, a, a book earlier. What are you reading these days? Cause you and I both love reading uh, business books and oh, yeah. sales books and that yeah. sort of thing. Well, um, there's actually uh, the, the, the death of, of expertise is a great title. I don't have it here with me, uh, but you get it on Amazon. Um, I've not I've not read uh, that campaign. The death of expertise, the campaign against <laughs> um, established knowledge, and why it matters by uh, Tom Nichols. Um, you know that's it's so important. I mean, I've learned that you know, also the hard way because there are some people that I've had these conversations with, 
and they're very interested in the opportunity. And we set up a follow-up call for, you know, at Zoom or something like that in two days. And all of a sudden I may get, I just got two emails last week from people who say on the email, I've changed my mind. I, I, I don't think I'm interested at this point, but thank you very much for the conversation. That's it. And, you know, the, the subtitle to that is, Treat me like I'm a resume. Treat me like I'm I'm a transaction. Talent out there is constantly asking us to treat them in a way that they don't really don't want to be treated. With all the time we spend, you know, sometimes they'll just all of a sudden they'll they'll pop a gasket and they'll just go back back on track to be treated as just a, a, a piece of paper. And I even come back to them and say, listen, we had a great conversation. I counseled with you. It's important for me, whether it's for this search or something else, to understand your thought process. Because what I do is not just introduce you to opportunity. I also help you to learn how to evaluate opportunity. Mm. I have a twofold function. I will help you. And that's so important. Because so many people don't know how to evaluate an option. I want to make sure I'm giving you the full value of my expertise. So let's let's have another conversation and probe that. Sometimes they won't want to, don't even want to do it. I, I you know please respect my decision, and the decision is based on who knows what, you know. But it's usually fear and ignorance, and and those are people in the marketplace who are constantly asking for for uh, people in my industry in our industry to treat them like a piece of paper. But I won't do that if that's the way they think. It's just as well because I've screened them out in the beginning. Excellent. So the death of expertise looks like it's right up my, I've just looked it up on Amazon. It looks like it's right up my street. I'm going to check that out. Um, yeah. The other book you were referring to is How I Raised Myself from Failure to Success in Selling by Frank Betker. Frank Betker. You've read it. You said- Yeah. yeah. So it's funny. Uh, I've, since probably I was 16 or 17, I've read like personal development books and books on selling. And and uh, so that one, I- I, I should reread it. I, I read it when I was about, I'm going to say 20 years old, 21 years old. I got it secondhand from a, a used bookstore. It's a, it's a battered copy printed in like, it was probably printed in 19, when did it come out in sixties or something or? Yeah. Something like that. I think. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't remember it in detail, but I remember it uh, enjoying it anyway. What, what did you take away from that book? Actually, it's copyright 1947, believe it wow, or not. Wow, okay. By Prentisol Publishers. That's my very first employer, Prentisol. Oh, wow. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> yeah, before I got into recruiting. Fantastic. So yeah, Frank Betker, uh, he was an insurance salesman. I remember that. He was a he was a baseball player. He, had, he oh. was a career baseball player okay. uh, back in the uh, 19th. Actually, it's copyright. And uh, he was a, the kind of guy, everybody knows him on these teams who was in it for himself. He was a scrappy guy. He was scrappy, scrappy, scrappy. And he, he I think it was like second baseman or something like that. But he, um, he got injured and he couldn't play for a little bit. And when it came time to come back from the injury, I think it was, um, I'm going from memory, uh, the ballplayers didn't like working with, playing with him on the team because, and he didn't realize this. He went to the manager and he says, why do people not want, I, I hustle every day. I really, you know, I produce. Why don't they want to work with me? He said, because you're not a person that they, they trust or they care about. Hmm. You have to really f make f people fe feel as if, and accurately so, that you care about their success and that you want to work within the concept of the team. 
and he he was thinking about it. And he said, uh, the light bulb came on and he went back on the field and dedicated himself to being the best teammate possible, hmm. providing the greatest value possible to his teammates. And sure enough, it worked. Unfortunately, he got injured again. Hmm. That meant he had to get out of baseball. So he went into insurance sales hmm. and he brought the same mentality into insurance that he brought. He realized he needed playing baseball and he would go to his, he would approach his potential customers um, in, in a way that was the ultimate consigliere, if you will. Yes. He, he wanted to work toward a relationship where they really valued him and they wanted to work with him and they really believed that he wanted to bring value to their lives. And that's what he dedicated himself to do. That's the story. So great. Ben. Yeah. Thank you for filling in the, uh, the, the blank spots there. I, the one thing that I vividly remember from this book and I read it 30 years ago, um, yep. is he, his approach to selling, he was selling insurance to business owners, if I remember correctly. And, but instead, but his approach would be, he would ask them for advice and he would ask for almost mentorship because they were successful in business and he wanted to learn from them and they would uh, then take him under their wing and, you know, be happy to talk about their own career, their own business, how they became successful. And in that way, he would build a relationship with them, with them. And then at that point, they wanted to buy from him because they had that trust and that relationship. Yes. And I've interviewed a couple of people on this podcast who use that exact strategy. Um, one of them is called Natasha Makajani. She's been on the show twice as well. Um, so she has sought out mentors who are very um, successful women executives and mm -hmm. in big companies. And so, and she said sometimes she's pursued them for it's like years to get a relationship mm -hmm. with that person, invited them to lunch, asked them, like she's asked people to be advisors to her company. And she has fostered these connections with really powerful uh, women at, at, at C or VP level, which then has in turn indirectly resulted in a lot of business. But mm -hmm. it, I think the key here is though, it wasn't, you know, it it wasn't just to get business. She genuinely wanted that relationship and wanted, and that was even more important than getting, you know, uh, searches. Right? It was having the relationship yep. with that person and and learning from that person. And as a byproduct of that, it actually led to a lot of uh, a lot of business and referrals and that sort of thing. And the other person who I've had on the show who had a similar approach was Somer Hackley, and she mm -hmm. talks about. Like instead of doing business development in a traditional way, she will go to people in her industry and ask their opinion or ask their advice on certain things that she's doing in her business. And then they feel invested. They feel like partly um, they take an interest in the success of her business, if that makes sense. So that yes. reminded me of Frank Betker's approach. But I'm, yeah. am I remembering even correctly? Does that sound? Yes. Okay. Yes. All right. Yeah. Fantastic. Interesting. Interesting. Um, so Michael, like, are you still 42 years in, are you still like doing this full time or like, what's the, what's your current <laughs> business uh, setup? Were you just doing it for fun or like? No, I mean, I, 
I, you know, you do it, you do it for long enough and it becomes like an instinct. It's like, you know, I, I do this every day. I'm at my desk Monday through Friday, sometimes, you know, on a Saturday or Sunday, but, but, um, what I've done is I've carved down the amount of hours I actually spend, uh, doing this. Yep. So in other words, where I used to be sitting here at the desk from 8 AM until six or seven, you know, it's, you know, more like I'm here at nine until maybe about four or five o'clock. <laughs> that's um, still full time. Like that's. <laughs> that, yeah, I know. <laughs> but I, I also, I try to take Fridays off or at least Friday afternoon off. Cool. Um, you know, I, people are constantly asking me about retirement. Uh, you know, are you still around? Are you still doing this? Of course, you know, it's, it's, um, um, it's an addiction. I love I'm that. I'm addicted to our business. I love yeah. that. I cannot see myself retiring. Like, why Why would you want to do that? What the heck would you spend your time doing? I mean, if you actually are doing something you like and that you are passionate about, um, then why would you why would you want to retire? I, I don't see like what I want yeah. to. I'm, I'm working towards being in a position where I choose to work and you know, I can do what I want with who I want, when I want. And, um, and I don't have to do anything, but, um, but I can't see myself. I'm, I, I'm going to be following in your footsteps, Michael. I, I, uh, <laughs> yeah, keep going as long as you well, can. I'm, I, I'm evolving into something in a direction. Okay. Similar to what you're doing as well. And uh, so some other people are doing, I mean, I've, I've trained people in this industry mm -hmm. for, for decades. You know, I've, I've trained recruiters in England, Ireland, South Africa, around the country. I've speak at engagements as well. I do webinars, you know, through Danny Cahill and others in, yeah. in our podcast today. Um, but what I really want to do is get more involved in, in the training aspect of sharing my knowledge, my experience mm -hmm. in, in this industry. Um, it's my, it's my effort to sort of pay it back, pay it forward, if you will. Um, you know, I happen to have the gift of gab that my growing up in this business on the streets of New York gave me. You know, I laughed at at uh, uh, at one of your previous uh, uh, interviewers has said, you know, he's fr he's from the Bronx. I'm originally from the Bronx, and and you know, sort of kind of tough, rough and ready approach. But um, uh, Lou Adler is, is comes from a very similar place that I do. Yeah, but I'm, what I'm going to be doing eventually is not eventually. What I'm working on now is getting more and more involved in actually proactively training recruiters because one of the things I've observed in the training community, if you will, is uh, so many topics and so many people are talking about how to build successful recruiting firms, and there's a place for that. Believe me, you know I, I agree with that. But there aren't enough people who have been doing this for a long time. To, to go under the hood with recruiters. Um, I, I understand that business owners are the people who have the cash to pay trainers and what have you. Mm -hmm. um, but it's almost like we're so involved with training people how to open up car dealerships, but not enough to train the mechanics and the train on the floor sales people who are selling the cars. So that eventually what will happen if we spend most of our time training people on how to open up car dealerships, we're going to be driving on the highway. We're going to see a lot of abandoned cars out there. <laughs> there a lot of cars sitting by the side of the road because nobody knows how to, how, to, how to get them up and running if something goes on with them. Right. So a lot of people with broken careers out there or, or have not reached their potential. Mm -hmm. But I really feel as if we need to step up our effort as an industry 
to devote ourselves to training people who are on the desk every day. I see, you know, some of these organizations having very the same names. A lot of people who have, you know, ran a desk for for the length of time of a cup of coffee and haven't <laughs> really done it. Um, and there's value to those people. I don't want to denigrate them whatsoever. There's value in their knowledge, but there aren't a lot of people around who've been doing it for a long time at a high level of performance and um, and can really bring the value of that experience to people who are on the desk, on the phone, on the computer. And I think if possible, we should do a bit of a sea change in how we, how we teach our fellow recruiters. Awesome. You know, a lot of these people on their desks, you know, they don't know how to build a business, but that's not necessarily their interest either. If we can, if we can be sort of like Johnny Appleseed, sowing the seeds of a value then I think will be very well served as an industry. For one of them. Awesome. I hope that makes sense. All right, Michael. Well, uh, I wish you well in that endeavor and, and let me know what there's, if there's anything I can do to, uh, to amplify you or, or, or support you in, in doing that. So it's important. Thank you. It's an important mission and, uh, who better to, to, to carry it out. Thanks very much, Michael, for, for being here today. Absolutely. I enjoyed it. It's a pleasure. I look forward to coming back again. And I look forward to seeing you at Pinnacle in San Diego. All right. I'll see you there, sir. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.